Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. There's a Christian calendar of holidays and whatever, and we've boiled it down now, so the only holidays we have left are Easter and Christmas. But there are 10 or 12 other holidays that all Christians celebrated uh, for a long time until just recently, until just the last... uh, the last maybe 100, 150 years. We just decided out of, the, out of nowhere to, to ignore that sense of holy time and, um, and, of, and of observing time together um, that, that we, you know, have been, that the church has done forever. Like the church has done this all this time. And, and we just act like it's not a big deal. And the reason we did that, there's a lot of reasons we did it, but the, the, the holy one, okay? The only one that I can say, okay, I can see your point, is that the Christian calendar is not in the Bible. Yeah. And so people have said, well, it's not in the Bible, so we're not going to do it. In fact, there's even, there's even some... There's even some people who would say the Bible is against having a religious calendar because the Apostle Paul talks about making one day more important than another, etc. Um, so, okay, I mean, I get it. But at the same time, <laughs> uh, there was a reason for it. Yeah. And we should at least talk about that reason. Um, do you know... What, why would we have a Christian calendar? Well, I know like the, the other religions that do have calendars, like I'll use Russian Orthodox as an example because I know they have one, is to like keep track of like their feasts and um, the different like robes that the priest wears, um, the different holidays, not just on Sunday, but through the week that they like say, okay, at sundown, we're going to pray at this. Um, or And that's the same with... Judaism, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just to like, because when it talks about okay, you're gonna pray. This starts at sundown, and then you you're gonna pray this many days and stuff like that. Maybe is, is it to have like, a, like help you with a schedule on following God? Yeah, I, there's a there's a bunch of different. I mean, yeah, yes. My my thing is there there is when when we look at human life it is organized by time right and we live inside of this of our organization of time Uh, we have seasons we have uh, days that are special to us we have birthdays we have uh, you know um, anniversaries and the United States has invented a whole bunch of other holidays that are really our celebration of capitalism we just passed by one of those, which was Black Friday, right? The day after Thanksgiving. Almost a bigger deal than Thanksgiving itself. Almost, for a lot of people. I'm kind of glad that our culture realized we were kind of running towards making that weekend about Black Friday and kind of pulled some of that stuff back. Like, a lot of stores were open, like, starting Thanksgiving at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, like, and, and, and people were like, you know what, that's not good. So we're, we're just gonna, you know, we'll do, we'll do Friday, but we're not gonna like stretch into Thanksgiving. Let's, let's take a breath, right? Uh, is everybody with me right now? Anyway, time is an, is a, is a part of who we are. 
And the way, the way we observe time tells us what is important to us. The Christian calendar was created so that through the year we would be celebrating the different points in the story of Jesus. So that we wouldn't forget the different things that happen in the story of Jesus. Okay, We still celebrate Christmas, which is where we celebrate Jesus' birth, even though no, Jesus was not born on December 25th. Okay, But that is when we celebrate his birth. And we still celebrate Easter, which is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And involved in that is Good Friday, of course, which is the day that Jesus actually died on the cross. Okay, so But those are the bookends of Jesus' story. But there's a whole bunch of other things that the church celebrated that expanded out a little bit. We, it, we started with Christmas still, and we still end, uh, but we don't any longer end with Jesus' death and resurrection. There's also Ascension Day. Um, there's also uh, All Saints Day, which, by the way, is November 1st. And All Saints Eve or All Hallows Eve is the day before that, which was also a Christian holiday, um, which was all about, it was, it was a way of, and, and what the early Christian church did, we're talking about 300 years or so after Jesus, was the whole culture they existed in was, the, the calendar was just covered by these pagan holidays, okay? These holidays that were celebrated by the people that were worshiping you know, Greek gods, Roman gods, uh, whatever you, you know, the different pantheons, right? And so the church inhabiting that culture decided that what they needed to do was instead of just canceling those holidays and saying, and saying, yeah, you know, all the fun you had uh, on, on those things and the traditions that your families have put together, etc. We're just, we're just burning all those to the ground because we're Christians now. Okay. It, uh, it wouldn't have worked. And so what they did was they decided to do what Jesus did, which is he stepped into the midst of our mess and brought redemption. And they said, that's what we're going to do with these pagan holidays. We're going to step into that pagan holiday and we're going to, are you familiar with the term retcon? We're going to, we're going to change the story, change the narrative around this holiday and make it about Jesus. Okay. Christmas was the celebration of Saturnalia. Okay. Um, Saturn was one of the Roman gods. You would know him by his Greek name, probably better, which is Zeus. Um, and, uh, and, and this was a celebration of him. And it went on for 12 days. And it started on December 25th. Okay. And people would cut down trees and put them in their houses and decorate them and they would give gifts to each other. Sound familiar? Right? And what it really was was a celebration of the fact that, uh, that it was the winter solstice really celebration is what it was. Okay. Or is it winter solstice or equinox? Anyway, I don't know. Solstice, right? It was a celebration of the longest night of the year, which is the first day of winter. Okay. From now on, from this day forward in the year, our days will get longer and our nights will get shorter. That was something they felt like was worth celebrating, especially in a culture that didn't have electric lights. Right? Uh, and if you think about the symbolism of that, when Jesus came into the world from this day on, night will recede and day will grow. Right? Does that make sense? Right? I mean, doesn't it? Which is why they picked this particular holiday to celebrate Jesus' birth, because that's what it was. This is the day Jesus came on the scene. Instead of celebrating Zeus or Saturn, what we are going to celebrate is Jesus and the birth of Jesus. And we're going to take these traditions that you had built around celebrating this other God, and we're going to clean them up because there was a whole lot of drinking and a whole lot of sex and a whole lot of other stuff going on during this celebration too. And we're going to take this holiday and we're going to clean it up 
And then we're going to use these traditions to tell you the story of Jesus. So they took the gifts and talked about the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus and God the Father giving a gift to mankind. Ta-da. Okay. We're bringing an evergreen tree into the house. Why are we doing that? Anybody ever tell you why? The Christian story behind the Christmas tree. Anybody? Well, when you said they did, that all started from them celebrating Zeus um, with the Saturnalia um, celebration, um, is it just to like make it more familiar? What did they do to make it more familiar for like the new converts, maybe? Well, I mean, this was a celebration that was going on in the culture, and so their decision was we can either fight against it or we can use it to tell the story of Jesus. And so that's what they decided to do. And they did that with a bunch of holidays. Easter is one of those. Easter was the celebration of, of a whole different Roman God. I don't even remember what, which one it is right now, but Easter was the celebration of a whole different Roman God. Um, uh, All Saints Day, November 1st, is a celebrate, was, was a celebration. And all of these were, cel- uh, and many other holidays, holy days, which were dedicated to pagan gods, which the church came in and said, we're not going to worship those pagan gods anymore. We're going to worship our God, and we're going to take this holiday and use it as an opportunity to talk, to tell this part of Jesus' story. And we're not just going to tell it by standing up and telling it. We're going to reenact it by different traditions that we're going to use so that the story of Jesus becomes a part of everybody's life because we're not just heads on sticks we are physical embodied beings and so we need to put ourselves physically into stories we need to be involved in them we need to we need to take those things on and enact them in some way okay so the christmas tree all the other trees lose their leaves but not pine trees correct so in essence when all else looks like it's dead, this one thing is still alive. Does that make sense? They're needles, but they still have green on them. And everything else is falling. You know, there's all these deciduous trees. They lose all their leaves. But this one does not. And so we bring it in as a, as a celebration of... Life in the midst of death. Absolutely. All of these things are symbols. Every single one of them. And knowing the symbols is important. But what we have done in our culture is we have divorced the symbols from their meaning. And so they no longer have meaning. And now they're just empty tradition, which is why we don't care about throwing them away. Okay. Advent is... uh, the, it is a fast that leads up to Christmas. It is a way of preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. The word Advent means coming. It means someone's arrival is their Advent. And so we participate in uh, Bible readings and um, lighting of candles and the, 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 the tradition in the Christian calendar was we do not decorate for Christmas until Christmas Eve. Uh, we have, we, we remember that until Jesus comes, the world was in darkness. And so, uh, we, we, we cover things in purple. We, it's, it, it, we, we don't, nothing shiny, nothing flashy. We sit. Yes. Purple is, Purple is the color of Advent. What? So you think your Halloween decorations are Well, man, I mean, we cover things. We remember. And that's what purple, that's what purple is supposed to symbolize, right? Remembering? Uh, I'm not sure. I just know that's the color of Advent. I'm not sure yeah. what, how it's connected to purple. Is but that why the candles are purple and the last one is a different color? The third one is a different there, color. There's a white one and a pink one. Yes. Yeah. Week three. Week three is the week of joy. It's the week where we think about Mary and about the incarnation of Jesus. And so that one is pink. 
but the other three candles are purple. And then the Christ candle is the one we light on Christmas Eve. And that represents Jesus himself. Remember, we have to remember that these were mostly illiterate people. What do you mean illiterate? They couldn't read. And so... That's, that's, that's what illiterate means. They couldn't, they couldn't read. So you couldn't be given a Bible and say, go home and read the story. They couldn't do this. The only Bible they got was when they were in church. Okay. I'm talking about all the way for a long, long time. There was actually more literate people in Israel in Jesus' time than there was after that. More people could read what oh. in Jesus' time. The Jewish culture was extremely literate. Yes. They did a lot of reading and a lot of writing. But the Greek culture, the Gentile culture, was mostly illiterate. They didn't do much reading or much writing unless you were wealthy or unless you worked for a wealthy person. You just didn't have any need for to be able to read and write much. And it only got worse... Uh, as we went into the Dark Ages, which was a while after, quite a while after Jesus' time, but it just, literacy went down, not up, after the Roman Empire fell apart. So, um, which is when a lot of these traditions were created. And these are ways of anchoring these stories in the hearts of people because they don't have a Bible to open up and read every day. And so they have to remember And they would always use sights and smells and food and whatever. All of these things were all connected to remind us and to tell the story. And we based that idea on the Jewish practice of feast days, which is something God told them to do. Passover. Have you ever been through a Passover meal? I really, the actual Jewish Passover meal, the Seder. Have you been through it? Oh, you need to. I'm, I, we should encourage uh, Nathan to do a Passover meal for, for you. Uh, it's amazing. And all the little details and all the little things. Like they leave a chair open so that when Elijah comes back, he can sit there. They, uh, they, they, they have salt water and glasses on the table to remember that they cried tears. Um, they have... All of these, they eat bitter herbs to remember how difficult it was to live in slavery, okay? There's, there's so many, there's so many, and, and, and they would ask their kids, why is this day different than every other day? And the kids would have to tell the story, right? And that wasn't the only meal they did that with. They did that with Purim. They did that with Rosh Hashanah. They did that with all of these other incredible feasts that were helping them to be anchored in the story of their people and we miss it my kids are more shaped by the american story than they are by the christian story and that's deeply sad but we are shaped by the stories that we exist in and that we cooperate with which is why i am calling for a return to things like advent and things like, you know, we always read the Christmas story on Christmas Day every year. But we should go deeper than that. As we're putting up the tree, kids, what is this tree about? Why are we putting a tree in our living room? The answer isn't because this is what we do. No, that's not the answer. There needs to be a better answer. When you said um, during Passover, they leave an empty seat for Elijah. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me because I, because I, I just got done with the plan over Elijah and Elisha on you virgin. And if Elijah was taken up into a whirlwind and he's in heaven, why would he want to come back? Like I don't understand that. Because in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, Malachi, <laughs> no, I know, it's, it is Malachi. Um, there's a prophecy that Elijah will return. Which Jesus tells us that yes, Elijah will return, but that John the Baptist was, had come in the spirit and power of Elijah um, to prepare the way for the Lord. So we believe that Elijah will return in the last days 
to prepare the way before the second coming of Jesus. So before which, he comes for, because I'm just now in eschatology for my Berean courses, so, um, I'm, so that you're talking about when Jesus comes after the tribulation for those that live through the tribulation, not during the rapture, the, the visible r- r- coming of Christ, not... Yeah. The two witnesses in the book of Revelation, yeah. are you aware of them? Yes. We're pretty sure one of those is Elijah. Oh. And that would be the prophecy of Elijah returning in the last times. But Jesus, the rapture doesn't happen until Jesus' second coming. It doesn't happen before the tribulation. Just FYI. Okay, let's, uh, that, that's my own personal well, and not just mine. I, I believe that's what the Bible says. The Assemblies of God would disagree with me on that. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I don't know if I heard this from you, but, okay, you said, um, but let me just ask you this. When do you think Jesus was born? When was or, he born? Yeah. Well, I've heard a bunch of different theories. I don't really know. You don't really know? Uh-uh. Like, what's your, like, <laughs> Well, most uh, most people base their idea on when he was born on the fact that the night he was born, the shepherds were watching their flocks by night, uh, which would have been in the late spring, early summer. Huh? They just chose, they weren't saying Jesus was born on the 25th. Just oh, yeah. They just chose this day. Because we don't know the day of Jesus' birth, they chose this particular holiday that they were stealing from the pagans and making Christian. They decided this was the time. And it has to do with the sun. It has to do with the fact that winter has begun. And so from this day forward night will get shorter and day will get longer. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's that. They decided that sounds like from the day Jesus hit the earth, the salvation plan that we had long awaited is finally coming. And night getting longer, darkness growing on the earth, came to a screeching halt the day that Jesus was born. You know, goodwill towards men, right? That this is that something happened that day. And so they said, that's when we need to celebrate Jesus' birth. There were Christian fathers who said Jesus was born on the 25th, but that was after they had already been celebrating it on the 25th. So, so if he said it, he's just... Well, they were doing they were doing the math and they were doing all this stuff and they had they had ideas in their head, but they didn't make a lot of sense. In my not nearly humble enough opinion. Okay. So Advent does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there are readings. I'm doing a every day posting a a one of the readings. And then a devotional thought in relation to Advent on Facebook, just as we walk through each. What's that? Hope. Uh, preparation. Yeah. Joy. And love. No. There's no peace. No. Love. The love Well, they may they made peace and preparation. Maybe they flipped them around, whatever. But I like preparation better than peace, personally, because the candle that's, supposed to represent that's love, what this is all about. That's what people light on Christmas Eve, right? No. Oh. No, they represent Jesus, the Jesus candle, the Christ candle oh. on, on Christmas Eve. Um, but the, the, no, the one that's, love is the fourth candle. Yeah. Jesus is the Christ candle. Yeah. So we are in the week that we're supposed to be contemplating hope. Absolutely is. 
as hope is that's why as as we I was kind of like oh get I can't wait for Advent to get here because I I really need it I I I have I've been celebrating Advent now for four years but prior to this I knew about it a little bit but I hadn't really studied it and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me I want you to go and I want you to really do a deep dive on Advent about four years ago which was the first time I was senior pastor of a church as, at Christmas. And so I, I told the church, we're going to celebrate Advent and then Lent as well, which is the preparation for Easter, which is further down the, uh, the pike. But we're going to celebrate Advent. And so I wouldn't let them decorate the church for Christmas until Christmas Eve which made a lot of people really mad. <laughs> no. After that first year, I was like, I'm not fighting this fight anymore. But, but I am going to, we're still going to celebrate Advent, but we're, we're not like going to. Well, the idea, see, in the, in the original Christian calendar, Christmas is 12 days of feasting. Yeah. It's from, uh, from Christmas Eve day christmas eve they would do usually the lighting of the christ candle in the in the ch- christian church would happen at midnight on christmas morning um that was when they would light the christ candle because today is the day yeah and that's what they're doing they're that this is the day christmas has arrived advent is over he's no longer coming he is here and so and that's where they would do that so but uh but I wasn't willing to go that far. I didn't think my people would follow me that far to like to a midnight service, and I went and 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 a lot of people got really mad at me because we didn't we didn't uh, decorate the church for Christmas and yeah. 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 Well, Catholics are Christians. So it's like the denominations. Right. Catholics are Christians. They no, it's all right. They love Jesus. Now there are some people who are culturally Catholic but do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, and and that's why people have kind of made the distinction between Christian and Catholic. I remember people have said, I remember a kid in school and I just asked her if she was a Christian and she said, no, I'm Catholic. And I was like, but you believe Jesus is the son of God. She was like, yeah. I said, then you're a Christian. <laughs> okay. Because, because we've got, if we think about buckets, okay, Christianity is the big bucket and Catholicism is a bucket inside that bucket of Christianity. But there are people that, that who, go to Catholic churches and even have gone through catechism and whatever that have never made a personal commitment to Christ. Like they aren't themselves Christ followers. And so they aren't Christians, but they would say they are Catholic. So the question is, when you're talking about somebody that you're going to marry, you need to find somebody that has the same passion for Jesus that you do. Does that make sense? Somebody whose who's love for the Lord looks like yours. Because you don't want a home that's half of that home is worshiping something else and half of it's worshiping Jesus. It would tear you up. It would tear up the, the house. Because you're talking about two entirely different sets of priorities. Does that make sense? And that's what the unequally yoked thing is about. If, they're, if we're talking about... So even people that would say they have a relationship with Jesus but don't, have a per, don't live out a personal lifestyle of following Jesus, I, I would say you shouldn't marry a person like that. Because um, most of the time you're going to get pulled down and they're not going to get pulled up. That's usually how things go. So is that how that scripture is supposed to be interpreted? Yeah. Because um, I, I was always brought up to interpret that, that you want to marry someone like quite possibly in the same denomination or the same fellowship as you. Right. But um, 
as I've gotten older, I'm like, it doesn't have to be in this. It, I mean, it's good if it's in the same denomination because it's they they have the same beliefs as you, but it's not really about a denomination. It's about what you believe personally. Yeah. I think denominations are becoming less and less important, and I think that's a really good thing. Because if you notice, like more non-denominational churches are becoming mega. Well, here's the thing: is I, th- I think, I think we need to be excited about. Uh, the question is, what purpose do the denominations serve? A covering, like in case for legal issues, maybe I see that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I mean, I am a member of the Assemblies of God denomination. Yeah. They are my covering. I would say the legal thing is the least of my concerns. I am a member of the Assemblies of God denomination, not because I agree with everything that they have to say theologically, because I don't. Yeah. Um, But because this is where my family is. Yeah. These are... And I'm not just talking about my actual family, my, my blood family. I'm talking about the people that have invested in my life. I, my whole life, I've had Assembly of God people pouring into me, investing in me, giving me opportunities, creating a platform for me, teaching me what ministry looks like and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I, even though um, I can still... 99.9% swear to the 16 fundamental truths. Uh, uh, even though that we have some other things that we would disagree on, this is still my family and you don't give up on family. Yeah, it's like Lilo said, Johanna means family. No one gets left behind. Well, that's how I feel. Yeah. So even if I have disagreements with my family, they're still my family, right? So I have said that I will be in the AG until they kick me out, uh, which might happen. Who knows? Who knows? They they aren't going to kick me out about the when when is the rapture happening though. Yeah, We've already that. had that conversation. I was going to say that'd be a pr- pretty weird reason to kick somebody for out. For something of, that you just don't know for sure to kick someone out. That's, I was, no, I I know. For sure, that the rapture is not going to happen. No, I mean I'm talking about them kicking you out for something they don't know for sure. The point is, this isn't that important. (laughs) This is not a major thing. Now, if I were going to say that Jesus is not the Son of God, then that would be different. I'm not even a Christian then, so that's a whole other thing, right? Okay, so but 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 I'm not. Hey, I want to pastor your church, but I actually we're going to worship Satan. Is that okay? No, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, can see, I can see the church thing. Fremont Community Church of Satan. Yeah, right, exactly, right? Let's do that. Okay, no. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> That's what she said. That's got a ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> or Fremont Community Synagogue. Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay, so I've been to multiple, like, denominations, like, sure. churches. Right. Like, Uh, that hasn't happened yet. It might. But most of the time, I'm the one shutting myself down. Does that make sense? Like, I know the thing is, I'm a student of the church. Okay? So I probably, I, if I meet somebody that's a part of a denomination, I probably already know how their beliefs different are different from mine. Okay? And so... I'm going to major on the majors with them. Well, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about, let's talk about the stuff that really matters. And we're not going to, and I'm not going to say, you know, that uh, tongues are the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe that, you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. You're not going to go 
that's uh, right. I'm not going to do that. Well, but just just for the record, the Assemblies of God is the only denomination that would say that exact phrase that way. The Church of God would it? No, they would say. That Tongues are available to everybody that the gifts of the Spirit, but they would not use that language. That is Assembly of God language. Uh, that is language we invented. It's not Bible language. It is language we invented. And it's not a major point, even though baptism, it's one. You, I mean, you don't need speaking in tongues to go to heaven. Cause no. Because when, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside you, right? And that's what gives you the boldness yeah. to, like, do things outside your comfort zone? Well, a lot of other things, too. But, yeah. Wait, did you say the Bible doesn't mention tongues? I didn't no, say that. That's not the language. <laughs> said that's not the language. No, I said, I said no, I was just, tongues I was just, as the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is language we invented. And we invented it by, we, we looked at the book of Acts and several other places in Scripture, and it seems like that, according to the biblical narrative, is the way things work. I thought you were saying, like, tongues was a language that we made up. No, <laughs> no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, I speak in tongues more than you all, okay? I mean, I'm a, I am a tongue talker here. I was quoting Paul. That was not me saying, you know, uh, uh, that that's true, because I have no idea how much you speak in tongues. But, but as a part of my... My prayer liturgy that I that I put together there's a uh, uh, there's a thing in there that's says spend the next five minutes praying in tongues like that's this is something that I try and do every single day. Uh, and so I, I, just, I I'm so like confused on the tongues thing because I just know so many people that have like different like because um, like with the whole interpretation thing like mm. tongues is supposed to have interpretation. I'm like, obviously, if you're by yourself, there's not going to be much interpretation. Um, but the thing is, it's like sometimes I'll be at a church, and sometimes even my church, where someone will sp- like speak in tongues, and the same person that spoke in tongues would give like that's an okay. interpretation. And I know some yeah. people that don't think that's okay. Well, then um, they haven't read their Bible. But... And then there's some people that think, yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but then I also know that there's some people, like, I know the AG Church is really big on, um, like, like, speaking in tongues is like a gift, right? Yeah. It's like a gift of the Holy Spirit. And some people are like, oh, just keep praying until, like, pray for the gift of speaking in tongues until you're speaking in tongues. And then I know some people that think, like, some people just don't, like, that's just not a gift that everyone can have. Sure. Like, it's a very special gift. Right. And then, yeah, I don't know. It's kind oh, of- yeah. Well, the reason, the reason there's so many different opinions is because the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about it. That's yeah, just reality. The, the Bible doesn't have the whole lot to say about That's it. That's why I just think it's so crazy like, that the AG Church is like, so built on that because... Well, like, think... Just, I feel like they're like, well, we have to find something that's completely you, really well. you need to think like, back oh, to... You need to think back... Sure. Well, exactly, and that's, that's my issue with it. Yeah. Is we have made this a major issue. Yeah. We've made it a denominationally deciding issue. Yeah. And that's a problem for I me. I, I am not okay with that. <laughs> Personally, am I going to encourage every single Christian to ask for the gift of tongues and to uh, wait on the Lord to receive it? Yes, I am, because it's been so beneficial for me in my life. And I do think it's available to all Christians, but I think all the gifts are available to all Christians. I think the selectiveness is about what's going to happen in any in particular moment in time, not about who gets it. Does that make sense? Yeah. When the Apostle Paul talks about one speaks in a tongue and another interprets and one does this and what, he's talking about in a, in a corporate setting, everything needs to be in order. And so we don't need to have the whole church like yelling at each other in tongues, which is what was going on in Corinth at the time. People were just blah, 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 at each other all the time. And, 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 and unbelievers would walk in there and be like, what is going on? Like, they had no clue what was happening. That's why the Apostle Paul was like, that doesn't make any sense. Don't do that. It, you know, and that's when he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. He wasn't ta- he, he was trying to validate the gift of tongues. Like, tongues is important, but it shouldn't be all you do the entire service. Right? Anyway, it, he was just trying to bring some common sense to the issue. And we have blown it out of proportion, but here's why we did. Okay? Because... 
a little over 100 years ago, when the Azusa Street outpouring began, 99.9% .9 of the church had never spoken in tongues, nor did they believe tongues was a possibility for them. They had just thrown it out and said, that doesn't happen anymore, right? And these were people that were reading their Bibles and saying, this looks like something we should be doing. This is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and we should ask for it. And as the Holy Spirit began to give people that gift over and over and over and over again, it began to mark this particular group of people, and they were being thrown out of other denominations for speaking in tongues. The Baptists, if you were speaking in tongues and they found out about it, you're done, including <laughs> pastors. It's true. It's true because, I mean, not all Baptist churches, but a lot of them. Okay, they just boot you. In fact, there were there were nationally known preachers who would preach long and hard about tongues being a demonic thing. Okay, so this group of people no can no longer belong to the rest of the body of Christ, and so as they're organizing themselves, they were just stating from the start. This is what we think about tongues, and this is important to us. This is our distinctive. This is what makes us different than everybody else. We don't want you to be confused coming in here and telling people that tongues are demonic. We believe it's the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not willing to raise your right hand and say that that's what you believe too, then we're not going to give you authority in the midst of our gathering. Does that make sense? Now, 100 years later, there aren't people getting thrown out of denominations for speaking in tongues. Most of the, uh, most of the church, including Catholics, Presbyterians, etc., are open to the gifts of the Spirit being... The Pentecostal movement has been successful, my friends. Okay? Most of the church nowadays is okay with the idea of the gifts of the Spirit, including tongues. And so we don't really need to major on that issue anymore. But the problem is that's the only thing that really makes us different from other denominations. And if we let go of that as a major issue, what's the point of our denomination? Does that make sense? And so we're just going to keep hitting that button over and over again. Tongues, 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 tongues. When I, that's why I'm going, I appreciate what my denomination does for me, but I don't need it to val. I don't, I don't need a deny. I, I, I don't need this to be this little group over here where we're better than everybody else. I want to look at the whole of the Christ-following population and say, this is my family. Church capital C. Are you with me? And I have a group of people that are my family and that we're going to hang out together, and that's great. But I don't... All right, is that, does that make sense? When you said Catholics have been openly open to... Openly open. Um, openly open. Openly open. Um, speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't think they would use that language. I think they would say miracles like tongues can happen for people that follow Jesus. I don't think they would use... I, they wouldn't even recognize the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a thing which happens after salvation. Um, so, the, so they don't. They don't. Rec so what I'm. So what I, how I'm understanding this is they don't recognize it before or after salvation. They just recognize that it is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and you can receive. Yes. It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Go ahead. You have, you've been to camp, correct? Like, Many times. Okay. <laughs> but, I love camp. Um, did you ever, what are your thoughts on like the fire tunnels thing? Oh, I love fire tunnels. I'm totally okay with fire tunnels. I'm totally okay with altar calls. I'm totally okay. Here's what I'm not okay with. Because let me tell you my story, okay, as a Pentecostal kid, all right? Uh, I went to lots of different camps and meetings and whatever where I was being pressured to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where I was being intimidated yeah. about the fact that I didn't, that I had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I had people asking me every other day, "Did you talk in tongues yet?" 
And I was just totally turned off by that. And I wanted, I desired the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I didn't think it had anything to do with that sweaty man who was going to yell in my ear in a language that I've never heard before. Okay, that is what, this is my experience of every time I ever went to the altar to be to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I would be surrounded by a bunch of sweaty men who were going to be yelling in my ear, some in tongues and some going, saying ridiculous things like, receive it, receive it. You know, and, and it was the most uncomfortable, is the most uncomfortable experience I could imagine. And there was no way. I was freaked out. I didn't enjoy that at all. And so, and then I would walk away from however long I decided to stay in that spot, which was often hours, feeling com- like a complete and total failure because I didn't what, do whatever to receive the gift. It's like, I don't know what buttons, I'm not holding my mouth right, I'm not, you know, and people are giving you stupid instructions, like, just let your mouth be, you know, people would grab my face and like shake my face, and I'm just like, don't touch my face. Right. I think we're better now than we were then, but... That was the culture that I grew up in. So the way that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit is I'd been praying for three years and I'd been going up to all the altar calls you can imagine, trying to get this thing, right? And then we were in service one day and I sensed the move of the Holy Spirit in a way I never had. And then they did what they always did and they gave the altar call to come up and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I'm not doing it again. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm sick of it. It's, I don't want to do that. The, the last thing I want to do is embark on some couple hour journey and then be disappointed at the end. So I was sitting two or three rows back in my seat, in, in my seat, nobody around me. And I just said, Lord, you know, I want this. I've been asking you for this for years. Will you just meet me here, please? And he did. And I went from no tongues at all to like, bleh, like total, like this. And I did not stop speaking in tongues for the next three days. It was, if I was not speaking in English, I was muttering in tongues for the next three days, even in school, which was very awkward. <laughs> but I had received this thing and I just didn't want to let it go because it was so... I've been asking for this for three years, okay? Um, So in my ministry, I encourage people to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I, I create an environment where people can pursue that in whatever way that feels comfortable to them. If you would like to come up here and have us lay hands on you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you can come up here and we'll do that. But if you want to stay in your seat, or if you want to go sit in the corner in the back of the room, or if you want to come up here, if you want to be laid your hands on, come to the right side of the stage. If you don't want anyone laying hands on you, come to the left side of the stage. Right? But respond to the Holy Spirit in this moment. If you know God's that you want this and you're going to ask Jesus for it. And here's the deal. If nothing happens, it's really okay. There's no reason to be disappointed. It just wasn't your time. And I do give instructions like that because I know many people for whom it began with one syllable. They heard one syllable in their mind. You know, the Bible talks about as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's not how it happened with me, but I know people for whom that is exactly how it happened. And so I describe that. But I also describe my experience because it's going to be different for everybody. And that's just the way it is because the Holy Spirit knows you. And He is not the kind of guy who is going to come along and force anything on you. I know more people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit in their prayer closets by themselves than I do that have been baptized at the altar with a bunch of sweaty guys 
grabbing their face. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage anybody that's in this room, if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is available to you. You can receive the baptism. Okay, I'm, I'm stepping out of my Assembly of God box now. I do not believe you have to speak in tongues to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I do not believe that. I believe the baptism, I believe that speaking in tongues is available to every Christian. But that's, I believe that all of the gifts are available to every Christian. I believe that the Bible teach, what the Bible teaches is that the thing you have faith for is what you'll receive. Now I want to encourage you to be, to receive the gift of tongues because not, not for the public meeting, but for the prayer closet, because that's where it has done the most for me, for myself personally, tongues is my way of talking to Jesus about things that I do not understand and that I do not have words to express. And I get that directly from Romans chapter 8 and from 1 Corinthians 13, okay, 12. All right, that the, that the Spirit is interceding through me, for me, in words that, I, that human language cannot express, that that is what is happening as I speak in tongues. That I am becoming a vessel for the Holy Spirit to intercede for me and for others. And when I don't have human language to express my emotion about an issue, I just, I leave my mind behind and I step into the tongues and I just let the Lord move that through me. And I can tell you, when I don't understand something in Scripture, I begin to pray to speak in tongues over it. The real issue to my mind, okay, about tongues, the, the, the most important piece, the thing that makes this as powerful as it is, is not the, the syllables that are coming out of my mouth. It's not that. It's the surrender. Bible tells us that the tongue is the most difficult part of our bodies to control. Right? So when I give control of the most uncontrollable part of me to the Holy Spirit, the rest of me is going to fall in line, right? And that place of surrender, of letting go and surrendering my language, especially for me, I am a communicator. I'm someone who cares deeply about words and expression. I love language. And for me to surrender my language to the Lord is a, not a small thing. It is a huge thing. And when I step into that place, there is something that happens. There's something released. Something that is profound and deep. And it's something I would encourage every single one of you to pursue. If you go the rest of your life and never speak in tongues, Jesus still loves you. <laughs> and you're not going to hell. And you're not less of a Christian than the people that talk in tongues all day long. You're not. This is just a beautiful thing that has been very powerful in my personal life. And that I would encourage all of the people that I care about, and that includes you, to pursue. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions about that? I didn't really have a question, but when you, I was like, when you, you like hitting the nail on the head when you were talking about the whole being pressured or whatever, because like I love altar calls, they're, they're great. Like, a lot of times that's where I've been, like, when I was student. Like, my own zone, like, there's no one else around me. But there's just, like, one, like, I, I've enjoyed every single, like, back home at my Assembly of God Church, I've just loved every single youth group night, every single one. But there was just one, one night that I remember um, where they were, like, I guess they were feeling it. I was like, I don't know what y'all are feeling, because I'm not feeling it. <laughs> but I guess they were feeling it. And they are like, 
we're going to come up to the altar and we're going to pray for the, you know, the baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues, like, this is what we're doing, and I was like, okay, <laughs> here we go with this, and I didn't know really what to expect, and I just went up to the front, but I, like, sat down on the floor, like, against the chairs, so I wasn't technically at the altar, I was, like, up there, but I wasn't up there, so, like, because I didn't really want people coming up to me and praying for me, yeah. and I'm really glad that I chose that, because um, they walked up to, like, my friend Kendra, and they walked up to her, and they put their hands on her, and they're just, like, yelling and screaming, and I was, like, so uncomfortable, and I felt so bad for her, and, like, Eventually, she did end up, like, speaking in tongues, but then I'm like, how much of that is, like, okay, I'm actually, like, feeling the Holy Spirit. He's moving through me, and how much of that is, I just want this to be over with. So I'm just <laughs> is this what I have to do to make you go away? Blurting out syllables, like, I just, I felt so uncomfortable sitting back there. I was like, I cannot imagine how she was feeling, because they're, like, screaming, like, Come on, you got this. You can do it. You can do it, Kendra. We believe in you. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my gosh. I just, I was so uncomfortable. I felt so bad for her. And that was just like the one Wednesday where I was like, uh, this is just not. I was just so uncomfortable there. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I am a, I'm a dying in the wool Pentecostal and I adore. I, I have always loved big, loud church services. But the, the older I get, the quieter the Holy Spirit makes me, not the not louder. <laughs> now, nowadays, when the Holy Spirit begins to move in my world, I'm shutting up. I'm not speaking up. Yeah. I'm not yelling and screaming. And I think, honestly, we yell and scream because we're not experiencing the Holy Spirit, not because we are. I think we feel like that's our doorway into encounter with the Holy Spirit. And for me personally, this is just my own experience. Yes, I've done a lot of yelling, a lot of dancing, a lot of screaming, a lot of all that. But I, that's not... I. Nowadays, the, the quieter I get, the, the more I experience the presence of God. That's how I feel right now. That's just where I'm at personally. And I, I still get loud sometimes. That's, you know, but I think the devil likes drama. I don't think the spirit does. That's just my opinion. So, yeah. You can't, like we talk about all the time that you can't save people. We can't force salvation on somebody. And I just feel like that that's what happens, especially in this denomination yeah. of tongues. It's like, you can't force salvation on somebody, but you can force the gift of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, what? It that way. Well, I, I completely agree. Like, I think it's a gift that everyone can have. Yeah. And I think that, like, if I've never spoken in tongues, but it's probably a fabulous addition to anyone's spiritual life. Yeah. Like, I totally agree with all of that. Yeah. But I agree that it's just so uncomfortable when it's, like, shoved on you and, like, forced mm -hmm. on you. And I've been made to feel like crap sometimes by people because I ha haven't experienced that. Like, yeah. Now that I'm older and more like established in what I believe, it doesn't get to me as much. But when I was a kid in the age of church, I was like, I just suck at being a Christian because <laughs> I can't speak in tongues. <laughs> and that's terrible. It is. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. No, I mean, it's okay. No, let me stand in their place for both of you <laughs> and for all of you that have been traumatized. By overzealous I really Pentecostals. <laughs> I know, I was too. But let me, let me stand in their place and apologize to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that our zeal and our desire to see good things happen to you was expressed in a way that was uncomfortable for you. I'm sorry that, uh, that, we, were it, that, that we were insensitive and not paying attention to you. And that we cared more about some kind of cultural Pentecostal norm than we did about your experience in the moment. I'm sorry. Please forgive us. Um, I just leaned over to Riley and I said, I know they mean well. Like, I know they do. all those experiences. Yeah, seen they do. Like, I know they mean well. Like, they're not trying to hurt you. No. Like, they literally just want it for you because they know how good it is. Absolutely they but do. But it's the same with salvation. Like, if I could yeah. shove salvation down somebody's throat, I would. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would do that. But I just can't. That's not how it works. No. 
This is a relationship that we're yeah. inviting people to. And that's, yeah, we, the sooner that we learn that as, as a people, the better we're going to be. When you were talking about this, um, holy, back, speaking in tongues stories, um, I, I didn't get the baptism, I didn't get speaking in tongues till I was like 18, um, and it was a time when like, I didn't have, like you said, I didn't have like a pastor in front of me, I was just like quiet myself, um, and I remember when I was 15 years old, my church had a week-long revival and um my sisters um both received the gift of the well the speaking in tongues um that night and then my sister was prophesied over by a prophet and um i went up to get it because like that's what i've done all my life i was just like i went up after altar call after altar call to try and get it and um and what and every time because i worked in the sound booth so like every time I didn't get it, I would stay, I would stay up there for another five seconds. Like if I didn't speak anything, the evangelist would like literally stay by, stay in front of me for five seconds and then he would move on. (laughs) Um, so like I stayed up there for another five seconds and then I went back to the sound booth and, um, I just kind of like went back to the compute, doing the computer things. And I was, I just like, that was my childhood. Like I never, I never received it till I was 18 and I just like, I just like felt like I wasn't as good as the rest of my family like I mean my dad and me both got the speaking in tongues together because like he he had he never received it and all the women in my house had got it like my grandma that lives with us my sisters my mom and then it was just me and my dad and we and when I when I finally received it um it was at a men's event, and um, he received it as well. He said so. Yeah, I, the most profound encounters that I have ever had with the Lord were have all been when I was by myself in my prayer closet. I've had profound encounters with the Lord in at churches or whatever, but the the ones that shifted me, the ones that changed me for the rest of my life, all of those happened in private prayer times when nobody else was around and nobody else was involved and I was just pursuing the Lord myself and the Lord spoke deep things to me that changed me forever. They weren't, what didn't happen in big services. And I've had some really great speakers and some really great encounters and I'm not not saying big services aren't good. I'm just saying for me, it's always been when it's just me and Jesus. And that's... I, so, I, 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 if, if you know somebody wants me to pray for them to see the baptism, I will do that. And then I'll say, now go home and just get by yourself. Maybe turn on some worship music and just talk to Jesus for a while. And see what happens. And if you don't receive it right here... And you can do that. My favorite story, and then we'll be done, was this kid. Uh, I think he still attends this church, actually. Uh, but I'll keep his, his, uh, his name uh, secret, I guess. But, uh, and he came up. We had been, we had, uh, when I was a youth pastor, he was in my youth group, and, and we had prayed for kids to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had prayed for him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I was talking him through, like what you said, like, you know, the, the okay, you know, just listen, and if the Lord gives you, you know, this was one way that this happens, you know, so um, if the Lord give, begins to give you syllables, just go ahead and say them. Yeah. Um, and he's like, and right as we were having that conversation, he's, his mom comes in and she's like, we got to go right now. And she wasn't a Christian. And... Um, and so I'm like, and he's like, Mom, I need to stay. And I said, no, no, go ahead. It's okay. Go home. I said, just text me. So he, he got home. He's like, okay, I'm in my room. <laughs> I'm ready. And I was like, okay. And so I, I texted him back and forth and walked him through. And he actually was texting me. So I'm saying something that sounds like this and te- like texted out the syllables to me. I was like, and I was just like, that sounds like 
the Holy Spirit to me, man. Just go for it. You know, so just stay there. You don't have to text me anymore. You're good. Just stay with the Holy Spirit. You're fine. And so he got baptized in the Holy Spirit over text message, right? And I was like, this is a whole new ministry. Let's just, let's do it. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, text, text this number. Digital It was fun. Okay. I want to pray before we go, because time's up. But I'm sensing the move of the Holy Spirit in the room, and so I don't want to ignore that. Um, and I want to encourage anybody in this room who has not received the gift of tongues, uh, if you're comfortable with it, to just ask the Lord again today for that. Not necessarily that you would start speaking in tongues in this moment, but just say, Lord, I would like this gift. Um, so let's just close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we, ah, we recognize your sweet presence in this room. I love you, Holy Spirit. I love you because you are who you are. You are so gentle and so kind so loving and so good. I love you. I'm so grateful for your presence in our lives. So grateful that Jesus sent you as a gift from our Father. You'd be with us every day. And Holy Spirit, I, my request right now is that you would move in a special way in this moment on me and on every person in this room, that we would receive a gift from you. If that is a heavenly language, then thank you, Lord. What a precious gift. But if that is anything else, if that's just a sense of your love, if that's just a, an awareness that you're near, if that is truth being spoken to a lie that we have believed. Holy Spirit, will, will you heal the wounds that have been inflicted by overzealous Pentecostals? Lord, we forgive them. We recognize that they were, they meant well. We forgive them for going too far in their zeal. Holy Spirit, we, we want a meaningful relationship with you. That's what we want. That's my request for every person in this room, me first. I want to walk hand in hand with you every day. Thank you, beautiful one.